Hello there and a warm welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show. How are you doing? What sort of a day have you had? Are you in good form? Are you well? It's uh, the 13th of October 2022. A pretty balmy afternoon in Salford. It's overcast but it's quite balmy, quite lovely. I'm the BBG with you for, I don't know, somewhere between 90 minutes and 2 hours today. Properly back to normal next week. Uh, Still kind of in the old soft launch kind of a thing. But I think I've got a very interesting programme for you today. You can join in via the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave a comment where it says comment live. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show. Live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is myself, it is myself. So richieallen.co.uk then, that's the way to reach me. During the program, if you like, use the contact form. I'm not sure though the messages will get to me today. You can also leave a message under one of the more recent posts or the most recent post on the Facebook page, which is managed by Raj. There is a lot to talk about, dear listener. I think you know that. So talk to me. Do it to me now. Let's get rid of the old theme tune then and say it's good to be with you, to be with you good. Let me clear something up. Yesterday, I did a show of sorts. When I completed it and I listened back to it, it was deplorably bad. Not just the content, which was utterly bad, but also the sound of it. So what I did was, was I axed it. Now, I did put something on the website and I did ask Raj to put something on Facebook to explain this, but it didn't happen. And one or two of you or more were were wondering aloud where in the name of all that's good is the the, the, the recording, the podcast of yesterday's show, uh, mea culpa, I apologise, it was scrapped because it wasn't great. There was a few tweaks needed doing, so we tweaked around today, myself, my engineers, Lee and Paul, and uh, we've been tweaking. And I suppose we will continue to tweak for the next couple of days ahead of next week. Anywho, apologies for that. It uh, really annoyed me this morning when I found that out. So apologies. Okay, you'll forgive me. It's uh, coming up for three minutes after five. Um, Are you looking forward to the weekend? Probably. Are you looking forward to bonfire night here in the UK, perchance? Guy Fawkes and all of that. Well, if you are, you might not particularly want to hear this bit of audio. Uh, Local authorities all over the country, all over the gaff, are cancelling and shelving Guy Fawkes nights, like like fireworks and stuff, and parties, well, it's down to the cost of living. You probably won't be too surprised to hear. Here is the BBC's Nick Garnett. He's in Manchester with the latest. This is all now, kind of segueing. this is all neatly fitting in to agendas that we discuss. So they're cancelling festivities because the councils and the local authorities don't have uh, any cash, any dosh, any spondulics to pay for this stuff. Listen to Nick Garnett, BBC. Yeah, it's been disappointing for a few years. First of all, there were two years of Covid, and now, just as things were getting back to normal, we've got the cost of living crisis. If you look at the list, the list is growing of the number of cancellations, and that's because authorities really have to make that decision now, a few weeks before 
bonfires night because they don't want to be spending the money on the actual fireworks themselves. So Dundee, for instance, usually spends £50,000 on its displays. That money is being spelt elsewhere, they say. Glasgow cancelling for a third year because of Covid and now the money. Uh, the same thing, story here in Manchester. There's not been two, uh, for two years, there's not been any uh, fireworks displays and they're being cancelled. The council says that the escalating costs of delivering large bonfire events, increasing safety and organisational measures and increased pressure on council budgets is to blame. The big question is whether or not they ever come back because that's the problem. Once they've gone, it's very easy to not bring them back. Hey, hey, the big question is, will they ever come back, eh? Think Klaus Schwab. You will own nothing and you will be happy. That has now morphed into you will not be able to do anything and you'll be happy. Middlesbrough and Stockton have cancelled. Liverpool's river display on the Mersey has gone. Hackney and Southwark has gone. Cardiff and Leeds has, has cancelled its as well. Now, the interesting thing about Leeds and Glasgow is they've both cancelled their Christmas markets as well. Even though they bring in an awful lot of people into the town, it's thought that the money is best spent investing in the town itself and hoping that people come into the towns and spend their money in the bars and the cafes and the restaurants. That's about the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Let's cancel the Christmas markets, which ordinarily attract lots and lots of people into our towns, and let's just hope that they will come anyway without the Christmas markets just to spend stuff uh, spend money in our towns. That's madness, isn't it? And the shops, as they would do if the markets, but spend it on the people locally. Yeah, they'll come in and they'll spend as if the markets were there, even though the markets are not there. <laughs> Nick Garnett. Uh, that's horrible, isn't it? You know, youngsters, the damage done to young men, women, young boys, young girls and boys, particularly during the, the lockdowns and all the all the tyranny that, that went along with that. And now they're saying we've got to cancel all of this stuff, all of these events, these outdoor things that children would love. Why? Well, because of the cost of living crisis, which is the fault of that bastard Vladimir Putin over there in Moscow. Yeah, yeah. I'm full of fun today. I did a funny thing today just to amuse myself. I read that a bunch of female third-level students at the Fallowfield campus of Manchester University were going to be demonstrating this afternoon in support of Iranian women. And in particular, in particular, they were going to be supporting the Iranian woman who was allegedly murdered by the police because she wasn't wearing a hijab. So I heard today that there were a big bunch of female students and they were going to be cutting their hair in solidarity with, uh, with this woman. I thought I'd get in on the action for a bit of a crack. So I went along, but I went along wearing, wearing a, a burqa. I decided I'd go along and wear a burqa to show my solidarity for the Iranian morality. Police didn't go down very well at all. Battered I got, I tells you. They had me on two counts, didn't they? They had me on misogyny and they had me on cultural appropriation. Snowflakes. This is your Richie Allen show. Now, this is very important. I missed this. You may have missed this. You may not. On Monday, Janine Small, who is Janine Small when she's at home, Richie? She's the president of the International Developed Markets at Pfizer. That's a mouthful. She's president of International Developed Markets at Pfizer. And she appeared before the European Parliament's Special Committee on COVID-19. Yes, she did on Monday. She was questioned by MEPs, which are members of the European Parliament. They're usually, MEPs are usually as useful as teats on a bull. 
they're not normally very helpful. Uh, window dressers, MEPs, they don't have any power really. They can't propose new legislation and bills and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into it. We got into all of this during the Brexit referendum campaigns. However, one MEP, a Dutchman, I think a Dutchman, is he Belgian, called Rob Roos. That's R-O-O-S, Rob Roos. He had a humdinger of a question for the Pfizer woman. Remember, Janine Hall, is that her name? Janine Small, the President of International Developed Markets at Pfizer. She was appearing before the European Parliament Special Committee, Pfizer woman, and she had a question put to her by a Dutch MEP, and I think you might like it. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? Fantastic question. Fantastic question. Before you released your vaccine onto the market, did you test it in order to determine whether it slowed down or even stopped transmission of the COVID? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer. Yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Love, love that. I really want a straight answer. Answer me, woman. Very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanisation before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. We had to move at the speed of science. Do you understand what that means, dear listener? Because I haven't a Scooby-Doo. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. We had to do everything at risk, she said, the bitch. But you didn't tell us that, though, did you? You told us nothing. What did all of that mean? Well... Thankfully, later on that evening, the uh, the Dutch MP, or the Belgian MP, MEP, MEP, Richie, uh, went on Tucker Carlson's Fox News programme just to explain what we, what we heard. And this is a good exchange. Here he is, Rob Bruce, explaining what you heard, even though you know what you heard, to Tucker Carlson. Good stuff. And this has massive implications. Governments m- pushed millions of people worldwide to get vaccinated by telling them, um, by telling me, telling you to 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 do it for your grandmother, and they yes. perfectly healthy young people into taking this jab using false arguments, and they used big words such as antisocial to saw an immense hatred against people who refuse to comply with the government's wishes, and even worse, many governments, including mine, actually introduced so-called COVID passports. These passports made access to parts of society conditional. Those who did not wish to get vaccinated lost that access, not being able to visit a restaurant or a gym, all in the name of public health. Our governments love to talk about institutional discrimination, but this was real institutional discrimination. In many countries, like the US and Italy, Vaccine mandates were introduced for certain professions. Many people lost their job, their livelihood, their business, because they stood by their principles. Austria even had a lockdown for the unvaccinated because of this reason. The government literally imprisoned people within their own homes. Remember that when the Austrian authority said that if you haven't had the jab, you basically had to confine yourself to your homes and only leave your homes for specially agreed reasons. 
This stuff actually happened. He's right. All of this was based on the idea that vaccination helps prevent the spread of the virus. Otherwise, why should people out of society? But this has now proven to be a big lie. Even the president of um, for international development market of Pfizer now admits that there was no scientific basis to say vaccination would stop the transmission of the virus. And I find this one of the biggest scandals of our time. The politicians responsible for this will be angry that people are looking back at this time, but I won't forget what they did to millions of people, and if we are a democracy, we should have accountability, and yeah, that's what yes. I'm calling for. Yeah, but apart from Tucker Carlson on Fox News, apart from the Richie Allen show, and one or two other programmes produced by independent content creators, nobody is talking about it. This is obviously massive, we're not surprised by this at all. You must take the jabs to protect granny, have the jab, you perfectly healthy young man, have the jab. Why? Why should I have the jab? Okay, I'll tell you. If you have it, it will prevent you from spreading the COVID, which won't do you much harm at all, but might kill your grandmother. And of course, that moved on and on and on to where they were threatening people with their jobs unless they consented to having the jabs. And now a Pfizer president of operations admits before a European parliamentary committee that they hadn't a scooby-doo whether it prevented transmission at all. You hear that, Tom? No. Could you repeat it? Because I, I can't believe my fucking ears. I don't think I need to repeat it, Tom. It goes without saying. Not a dicky bird on the media. Not a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's been disappointing. Not a thing. Stop, Richie. Enough now. Enough with the mistakes, Richie. It's a bit early for that. Um, not a dicky bird. The coercion, the threats, the mandates. And they didn't know anything about stopping transmission. They hadn't a clue. They hadn't a clue. Again, they, they hadn't a clue. Um, and, and, and I don't suppose you're dying of shock that Pfizer affirmed that has been fined billions of dollars, no lie, billions, by the way, look it up, uh, for putting deadly drugs in the marketplace, for falsifying data in order to get those drugs passed, and for bribing doctors. It's a real shock, isn't it, that Pfizer, of all corporations, would mislead every one of us. Come on, I say. Come on. The time is 14 minutes past the hour. Please reach out to me with your opinion on this subject or any other, or topic even, via the website richieallen.co.uk comment live top of the menu bar thrilled to be doing this again with you absolutely thrilled so I am want to talk what's wrong with this blooming thing (laughs) I have a play out system that's acting the maggot so it is um, but no, it's me. It, it, it of course, is me. Uh, I'm an idiot. We will talk about Alex Jones and an order, a court order, that he paid damages, totalling somewhere near a billion US dollars to some of the families of children and others who were killed at Sandy Hook in Connecticut so uh, many years ago now it feels like we'll do all of that and we'll talk about that in a moment. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases a nuisance but we all get them. Now more than ever it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko protocol Immune X365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with 
with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to Immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. And with free two-day track delivery. Now, Alex Jones, do I want to hear your thoughts on this, the website RichieAllen.co.uk. This from the BBC website today. Alex Jones has been ordered to pay $965 million, something around £870 million, in damages after falsely claiming the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting was a hoax. The families of eight victims and an FBI agent who responded to the attack had sought at least $550 million in the defamation trial in Connecticut. They alleged the right-wing radio host's misinformation led to a decade of harassment and death threats. 20 children and six adults were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Jones, who founded the conspiracy-laden Infowars website and talk show, argued for years that the massacre was a staged government plot to take guns from Americans and that no one died. He called the parents of victims crisis actors and argued that some of them never actually existed. He now acknowledges the attack was 100% real, a concession he made in August at a separate defamation trial in Texas. As the verdict was read out on Wednesday in Waterbury, Connecticut, some 20 miles from the site of the shooting, many of the families were visibly emotional with some in tears. That's the BBC today. I know you'll have very strong opinions on this and do not fear, dear listener, whatever your opinion is, I will read it out. Then I'll give you mine. And sure, never the twain will meet, maybe. I don't know. We'll have a chat anyway about this. But before we do, we'll talk about the complexities of this in a minute. We'll look at it from a few different angles. How did the UK media react to this today? That's an interesting one, isn't it? How did the media deal with this today? Uh, well, let's find out. Here's LBC Radio's James O'Brien, uh, the bastard son of Alan Partridge. He must be, and I think the evidence you're about to hear bears it out, um, talking about the news that Alex Jones was ordered to pay nearly a billion dollars in reparations, in damages, I should say, to the families, or some of the families, of the victims of Sandy Hook. Here is the... Never disappointing, it must be said, James O'Brien from LBC Radio. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has been ordered to pay $965 million in damages after falsely claiming the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting was a hoax. One of the tightropes we walk, I'm using the royal we, one of the tightropes I walk between idiocy and amplification is perfectly summed up in this story. I I do still, although I think I've got it wrong over the years, I still resist the urge to give oxygen to dangerous idiots because I can't help thinking, occasionally on Twitter, I, I have a bit of a rush of blood to the head and I still make the mistake of giving oxygen to dangerous and obnoxious idiots. But on the radio show, certainly, you know, I would never let, Little Tommy Ten names come on to, to to spew whatever it was he wanted to spew. I would. Ne- He's talking about Tommy Robinson, right? To spew. I would never have Anjem Chowdhury on the program, even when he was popping up pretty much everywhere. So so often that you wouldn't have been surprised to see him on Blue Peter. Yeah, I would have been surprised to see Anjem Chowdhury on Blue Peter. Why wouldn't you want to interview Tommy Robinson or Anjem Chowdhury? 
why would you not want to to hear not so much to hear their views because I'm I'm sure a guy like O'Brien will be well aware of their views but why would you not want the opportunity considering that people like Robinson and people like Anjam Chaudhry have had and do have or enjoy they enjoy pretty large followings so why would you not want to engage them and try to dig down into why it is they think as they do I don't get that that's the whole thing about journalism and production that's the exciting thing about it is speaking to people who have uh, views that you are diametrically opposed to even though years ago you were not supposed to have any views at all as a presenter you were supposed to keep your opinions opinions even out of things out of discussions but anyway why wouldn't you want to speak to them I, I, I did I, th- I presume I did at the outset I, but as, as I've evolved no, as you've been controlled. So at the outset, you were happy enough at the beginning of your broadcasting career to speak to people with views that you found strange or repugnant. But as you've evolved or as you've become more and more controlled in terms of what you can and can't say, you, you've, you've, there's only one way to go with that. There's only one route out of that. And that's to say, not that you're controlled and that you are explicitly, expressly forbidden from 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 engaging in conversations with with pretty much everybody you can't say that so the best thing to do is to take the moral ground and lie lie effectively and say that it's your choice not to speak to Tommy Ten Names or Anjan Chowdhury use that slightly uh, tricky word over the years that we've spent together I've felt that giving a platform to obviously dangerous and obnoxious people was self-defeating. I guess it came to something of a culmination when they put Nick Griffin on Question Time. Mm, Nick Griffin. This is an interesting segue. Griffin, once upon a time, headed up the British National Party, which I think has been... has been... What's the term they use when they... Proscribed, is it? Is that the term? Prescribed or proscribed? It's illegal now to be a member. Nick Griffin was invited to appear on the BBC's Question Time, which is a flagship programme for the BBC. It airs on Thursdays at 10.35 or 10.40. And it's where politicians and well-known people, sometimes actors and actresses, sometimes columnists for newspapers, journalists, they sit around a panel and they are questioned by an audience. That's how it goes. It's a flagship thing. Nick Griffin was on it a few years ago during the run-up to the Brexit referendum. That was okay. Why why not? Uh, Griffin has a point of view. Why not bring him on? Let's hear a bit more of this. And and I was very much of the view that he shouldn't have been there. That that validity afforded by a seat at the question timetable sent an implicit, a subliminal message to the British public that he was somehow yin to a decent politician's yang. Yeah, because the, because the British public are stupid and they need to be protected from themselves. You're giving validity to Nick Griffin by bringing him on question time and somehow that is subliminally getting through to the audience that this guy is okay and that these views are acceptable. But that's absolute horse shit, of course. You know nonsense this idea that you don't speak to someone in order to protect somebody else don't speak to Nick Griffin don't speak to Tommy Robinson or Anjam Chowdhury uh, because of because subliminally the listeners might imagine well this guy must have something going for him otherwise he wouldn't be on the BBC We're, we're too thick to understand that Nick Griffin's philosophy or some of his philosophies are repugnant and silly silly or 
or or or scary or or whatever, right? And that the extremities he represented somehow had a place in the mainstream. I think I'd probably still argue that, even though Nick Griffin himself, who was leader of the British National Party at the time, had a bit of a nightmare. That's a lie. Nick Griffin did really well on the BBC Question Time programme. It's available on YouTube. He did exceptionally well under the most hostile of cross-examination from everybody else on the panel, from David Dimbleby and also from the audience. Griffin, I don't like Nick Griffin. I don't have any truck. I don't hold any truck with his with his views. But uh, he did pretty well at the time under the circumstances, I thought. That was simply because he wasn't very good at it. He was all right. If you take someone possessed of, of essentially far-right views who can come across as very clubbable, who, who you know, can pretend to be a bloke down the pub or who can somehow tap in to the language uh, of acceptability while subtly pushing utterly unacceptable ideas towards the audience, then Nick Griffin's failure on Question Time doesn't really constitute a reason not to let people widely regarded as fascists onto Question Time. Which leads us neatly to Nigel Farage, of course, who was never off question time. Nigel Farage. I knew where this was going before I heard it. I knew he was going to have a go at Nigel Farage, the former leader of the United Kingdom Independence Party. I knew he would have a go at Farage for going on Infowars. I knew he would. And yet who routinely collaborated with conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, who has been ordered to pay $965 million in damages. After- that, that's defamatory to, to claim that Farage collaborated with Alex Jones. I've interviewed everybody and anybody on this programme over the last eight, eight or so years. None of them were collaborators. They were interviewees. They were guests. I don't think it's fair to characterise Nigel Farage's appearances on Infowars as in any way collaborating with Alex Jones. This is borderline defamatory, this stuff. Wait till you hear it. After falsely claiming that the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting was a hoax. I don't want to talk about Farage in particular. But you brought him up, though. But I am intrigued by how anybody... I mean, what would it be? That you don't care about the grieving families? Or that you go on somebody's broadcast six times without knowing. Binary choice, this stuff. This stuff really, really pisses me off. This, there, can only be two, there can only be two possibilities, according to, to James O'Brien. Farage either doesn't give a rat's arse about the victims of the Sandy Hook shooting, or he possibly, but improbably, didn't know about it. Binary choice. There can't be any other explanation according to Jimmy O'Brien. This is the dangerous binary choice tactic we've seen emerge in the media in recent years. Everything can be reduced to a couple of simple absolutes. He either doesn't give a shit about the kids or he didn't know about it. About the thing he's most infamous for. I think we can discount the latter possibility that anybody invited to appear on Infowars with Alex Jones would be unaware of his most infamous lies about a school massacre, about dead children. So the, the answer to the question of how anyone could ever contemplate going on to this programme, this broadcast, would then have to be that you don't care about the... I don't think there's another answer. 
Farage might very well be consulting a solicitor. Um, he shouldn't be interviewed, essentially. Farage should not be interviewed by a guy with a massive audience because of that guy's beliefs. According to O'Brien, appearing on the programme with Alex Jones, I never heard Farage on Infowars, but I am presuming, and maybe it's wrong of me to presume, that they were talking about migration or they were talking about Nigel Farage's mate, Donald Trump. That's what I would imagine they were talking about. But according to O'Brien, going on the programme is to associate yourself with comments made by Alex Jones in previous shows or beliefs, ideologies, uh, held dear to Alex Jones by appearing with him, you are agreeing with those ideas and endorsing them. That's astonishing. And he calls Nick Griffin a fascist. O'Brien just finished saying, and I paraphrase, those with views he finds repugnant should never see the light of day on television or radio because the public needs to be protected. That's Nazi stuff, that. Now, that's a strong comment. That's where Nazism begins. We must ban people, banish them, uh, exile them, ignore them, send them to Coventry. You know? Uh, because the public needs to be protected from their opinions. We're all very stupid. We can't figure out for ourselves which opinions and theories hold any water and which are rather silly or rather sad. James O'Brien would be the arbiter of what is acceptable for you to hear and what isn't acceptable for you to hear. This is dangerous stuff, this. To allege that Farage, who I think is an absolute wanker, I've, I've been saying it for years, no interest in Nigel Farage or anybody like him, but uh, I don't believe he's a fascist. To allege that Farage must approve of Jones baiting the Sandy Hook families simply because Farage agreed to be interviewed about politics or migration is, it's dangerous. Here's a little bit more from this um, James O'Brien monologue on the Alex Jones verdict. This is pure Alan Partridge, so much so that even I am not sure, maybe, just maybe, this really is a parody. Maybe. So, many, many mysteries. But I still don't know, and this is why I mentioned the tightrope, the difficulty of not knowing whether you should, even by talking about it. So last week, it, or last month, it was a bloke called Andrew Tate who everyone was talking about because he was peddling some fairly grim misogyny. You know, if I was desperate, truly desperate for listeners, maybe, and, and I was devoid of conscience, maybe I'd have invited him on to my programme. But I'm not desperate for listeners, and I'm overburdened by conscience. He isn't desperate for listeners and he is overburdened by conscience. Hold on to that thought. He's not in any need of listeners, right? So he wouldn't invite Andrew Tate on. I'm ashamed to confess to you this afternoon. I have no, had no idea who Andrew Tate is or was, is. And that's because I've been buried up to my neck in trying to get this radio show back on the road. But Andrew Tate is a TikTok guy. He's a social media guy. He's an influencer of sorts. And apparently Tate has said women belong in the home, women can't drive, and women are a man's property. Apparently he said that rape victims must bear responsibility for their attacks. And he said he dates women, uh, usually aged around 18 or 19, because he can, quote, make an imprint on, end quote, make an imprint on them. These are things he says in videos. Apparently he does a bit of kickboxing as well. He does these videos, he smokes cigars, and he talks about hitting women and choking women. He sounds like a hell of a guy, doesn't he? Andrew Tate. Um, James O'Brien wouldn't have him on. 
wouldn't invite him on. Why not? I'd have him on. Why? Because I reckon it's all bullshit, clickbait crap, truth or industrial complex nonsense. I don't really believe that this guy believes it's okay to choke women and beat them up. Now, there are men, I'm sure there are plenty of men in the world today who who do think it's pretty okay to kick the living shit out of women. But this guy has the sound of, I haven't seen these videos yet, it sounds to me like this is just a gimmick, right? This is an attention-seeking, clickbait-inducing nonsense. That's what I think. So I would invite him on. We'd have a bit of fun with him. uh, Because I think it's bullshit. But if he really does believe all that, we'd have a bit more fun with him. We'd have a chat. Um, Because that's the, the, the most exciting thing about doing talk radio. It's about speaking to people who do have opinions and and views and points of view and outlooks that you think are very strange. So let's kind of flesh it out. Why do you think like that? Very interesting. He's overburdened by conscience. That's why I believe this. I don't believe it, but sometimes I wonder if James O'Brien is a parody and if eventually O'Brien will finish a monologue someday and say, you know what, it's just a load of bollocks. This is not really me. Maybe, maybe not. You think you can't get any more, Partridge? You'd be wrong. O'Brien tells us, and I had to listen back to this several times, wait for it, that he performed, O'Brien the presenter, an intervention on a young man, in fact, a young teenage boy, to save the boy from following in the footsteps of Andrew Tate. Did you hear that? He says he performed an intervention on a young boy to help him Avoid going down the same route as the misogynistic bastard, Andrew Tate. This must be parody. Please tell me. Your guess is as good as mine. So that was never going to happen. But I I, I even hesitate to say his name out loud. I know a 14-year-old lad who sort of fell under his spell and I had the rather tricky job of deprogramming him. Tricky job. Deprogramming the boy. Explaining to him why... Uh, certain attitudes to certain issues were completely wrong and, and dangerous. And, you know, God knows how many kids... We've got to listen to this again. He saved a 14-year-old boy who was falling under the spell of this gun-toting, cigar-chomping, misogynistic woman-beating bastard. Oh, Brian had to get involved. So that was never going to happen. But I, I, I even hesitate to say his name out loud. I know a 14-year-old lad who sort of fell under his spell and I had the rather tricky job of deprogramming him and explaining to him why certain attitudes to certain issues were completely wrong. He's so lovely, James O'Brien. You just want to cuddle him, don't you? You just want to take him home. He's lovely. He's like, I don't know, Charles Ingalls, Michael Landon. He's like Charles Ingalls. He's like the grandfather from our house, Wilfred Brimley. He's like those two men wrapped up into one. He's so lovely and decent and full of virtue. You know, and perfection, isn't he? And and dangerous. And, you know, God knows how many kids haven't had that intervention in there. So, again... So many kids have not been lucky enough to have a, an intervention by James O'Brien, eh? And talking about something validates and amplifies. No, it fucking doesn't. Talking about something does not validate it and amplify it. You fucking goon! Of course it doesn't. Not if one... Half of the discussion, or one third of the discussion, depending on how many people are involved, says to the guy, are you serious, like? Really? Beating women up and and all of that. Which women have you beaten up, uh, as a matter of interest, Andrew? Have you got any names handy? Let's, let's, Let's get some of these women on the phone. You're not amplifying 
or validifying something by discussing it. This is a dangerous fascist, this guy. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I, I don't believe he's anywhere near as popular as, as he makes himself out to be. You're not validating anything. Horrible this, and you know as well, don't you, this programme has had to put up with this. Academics saying to me over the years, Richie, I'd like to come on because it sounds like we'd have a nice conversation, but if I do come on, Richie, I'll be hammered because you've had some people on in the past who've said some extreme things. And O'Brien wants that to be par for the course. He wants that to be par for the course. We must draw up a list of that which is unsayable. We must draw up another list of um, people who are unpalatable. The unsayable must never be said and the unpalatable must never be heard, according to Jimmy O'Brien. And this is fascism. This isn't a, an exaggeration. So I didn't do much on InfoWars. And I... Listen, I'm just a tiny cog in the media wheel. I, you know, 1.4 million listeners in a country with a population of 60 million. I'm not under any... Alan Partridge, isn't it? That's why I think it must be a, par a parody. You know, bragging about the size of his audience, talking about performing interventions on 14-year-old boys to save them from the clutches of Andrew Tate. This has to be a parody. This couldn't be real. If I was in the control room, if I was producing or editing this goon, I'd be asking questions. Is this real? Am I on Jer Jeremy Beadle is dead? Is this some sort of Dom DeLuise thing? Is somebody going to jump out now and say, this is not really happening? This guy is not carrying on like this. Let's not hear any more from him. In the meantime, we are going to hear a tune because it's uh, 23 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. When we come back from listening to the tune, you and me are going to have a chat about the settlement, not a settlement, Jesus Richie, the, the award, the damages awarded to the families. We're going to talk about that in the context of free speech. Was Alex Jones or anybody else entitled to as loud as they liked or wanted to? Were they entitled to? Were they covered by, by the human right to free speech to say whatever they wanted? Were they? Is it simple or is it a bit more nuanced? We'll have a chat about it in a moment. In the meantime, though, Green Day. Do you have the time to listen to me whine? Yep. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Yeah, sorry I did that to you. My apologies. It's me. It's, this, this is the reason for the soft launch. It's me, I'm a plonker. Anywho, welcome back. 19 and a half minutes to the top of the air. Green Day and Basket Case there from the album Dookie, which is a wonderful slice of American postmodernist punk. What a load of bollocks that is. I don't know what any of that just meant, but I said it anyway. What are we going to do? Am I going to read your comments or am I going to give you my thoughts on, on Alex? Uh, I've got to do the disclaimer. For many years, I invited and, and spoke with Alex on, on the Richie Allen Show. But before the Richie Allen Show, the thing I did in Spain was Talk Radio Europe, the TV gig in London. I would have had him on fairly regularly and I was his guest a couple of times over the years as well. I always found him incredibly eccentric, particularly in the early days. And a bit mad. And when I interviewed him, you know, I, I used to think, afterwards I used to think, well, he's, he's fired like a, what is, what is the, where are arrows stored? It's gone out of my brain now. I think my brain has definitely lapsed since, since, uh, since the end of July. 
It's not um what is that thing that that archers sling over their shoulders, the thing that holds the arrows. I know the answer to this. This pisses me off. Uh, it must be, I don't know. Early onset, God forbid, I don't know. Your comments, please, richieallen.co.uk. Claire, that is Irish Claire, who is on these shores presently via New Zealand. Richie, she says, I think Alex is a disinformation agent. Nuggets of truth to some of what he says, but lots of lies too. I don't think he should have been sued over the Sandy Hook comments. In our modern age, false flags do happen and it's okay to question. I'm pretty sure he believed that Sandy Hook did happen when he was interviewed by the podcast host Joe Rogan back in 2017. Thank you, Claire. Jones says, Richie, I read somewhere yesterday that Jones could have been made to pay damages of $10 trillion, says Joan. Look, the number is irrelevant, she says. This is to shut him up because he has such a large following. This is to let others know they will be destroyed if they dare to speak up against the narrative. I believed the Sandy Hook incident when it happened. Now not so much, says Joan. I believe it was a gun grab like so many other false flags. Thank you, Joan. Justin says Alan Partridge has a podcast called From the Oast House. It's hilarious, says Justin. I think my friend Nigel that's uh, Nigel Coden Waterford, a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine. He sent me a link to this, but I haven't had the opportunity as of yet to listen in. Uh, Chris says, is Andrew Tate like an extremely laddish Jordan Peterson? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Hi to Colin Graney. Hi, Colin. Basket Case, very apt song following on from the James O'Brien stuff. Thanks, uh, Colin. William Gale says, it was very simple for me when Tony Blair came out to tell us we need to take the medicine. I knew I had to do the exact opposite of that. Hi to Angela Lambert, who says, an intervention by James O'Brien sounds dodgy to me and to me, Angela. I, I can't say that James O'Brien is lying when, when he claims to have intervened in the life of a 14-year-old who might be a relative because that 14-year-old was, was following... This guy, Tate, I find that very difficult to believe, but I don't know that it isn't true. Hi to Seamus Connolly. Thank you uh, for the comments, uh, Seamus. He says, a small matter of semantics. The Pfizer bint, he says, my God, uh, replying to the Dutch MEP, referred to the immunity of the drug when she was specifically asked about transmission. That's a very good point and very well observed, Seamus. He says they have a sliver of which to crawl out from a defensive position. Thank you for that. Sarah says, I'm just registered with the site. Okay, thanks very much, Sarah. Um, I'm puzzled about the Pfizer lady answering the MEP's questions about whether their special injections were tested for their transmission stopping ability. In her answer, as far as I can hear, she doesn't say that they were not tested with respect to stopping transmission. She says they weren't tested with respect to their ability to stop immunisation. So she didn't actually say what it is being reported. Did she? Good point, Sarah. Very good. Listen, thanks for all of these comments. You can interact with one another. Please. Uh, boy, if you want to sign up to the website, you can use any bloody name you want. It doesn't matter. You can use an untraceable email address. That's what you should do. At the Richie Allen Show, which consists of me, Hayden and Paul. And Hayden and Paul are just friends who help out from time to time. Uh, your data is, is not collected or collated by us. We're not interested in it. No, not remotely. So do whatever you want to do. Isabel says, O'Brien won't give a platform to dangerous people with extreme views, yet he will have all sorts of doctors claiming to be the top of their 
uh, professions uh, saying that the COVID jobs were safe. Now we should consider him as guilty as Alex Jones in promoting a view that turned into actions, stroke reactions that resulted in endangering people's lives. Certainly affecting people if you ask all the vaccine injured people. He is not that different than Alex Jones, James O'Brien. It's a good point, Isabel. Well made. John Taylor says, Alex was interviewed by Dell Bigtree recently. Was he, John? I, I don't know why that's relevant, but thank you. Bruce says, in my humble opinion, if one keeps thinking of O'Brien, Piers Morgan, Nick Ferrari, etc. as journalists, then one will forever be perplexed and annoyed by their lack of actual journalism. That's well said. Journalism is dead. It doesn't exist. We have commentators now bestriding the national and commercial airwaves. We do not have journalists. We have commentators. People chosen and put in the the presenters' chairs because specifically because they have a certain point of view. That's pretty much it. What do I think? Shall I tell you or will I move on about Alex? What do I think about it? It's interesting because some of you might well remember that I was, by pure luck, by, by an absolute freak of happenstance, I was the first person to interview the former National School Safety Inspector, that's the United States National School Safety Inspector, Wolfgang Halbig. He also at one time was a Florida State Trooper. And Wolfgang Halbig was very vocal in, in, in expressing his opinion that the Sandy Hook shooting was a complete hoax. He believed, maybe he still believes, does Wolfgang Halbig, that the school wasn't actually an operational school. The building wasn't actually a functioning school, among other things. Now, I interviewed him because, well, that's pretty much your job. He's saying something that's very interesting. He's had a couple of very high-profile roles in his, in the course, during the course of his career. So why is he saying this stuff? Is there any merit to it? And I interviewed him. You do your thing. Now, when I finished interviewing Wolfgang Halbig, this is many years ago now, I then, or I had my producer then, reach out to the law firms or the lawyers representing the victim. Now, this was still very raw back then. It's still very raw now, I have no doubt. To offer them some sort of um, right of reply, because this was gathering pace. You know, he he then went on Infowars and Alex Jones ran with it and ran with it and ran with it. So, you might believe that free speech, free speech is absolute and that regardless of how people feel, uh, a man or a woman should be allowed to express their opinion regardless of how offensive a third party might uh, find it or how offended they might be. That's one definitive, that's one definite point of view. It's out there, I hear it all the time. Is it my point of view? Oh, God. Yes and no, I would say. I discussed this with uh, Lee, the engineer, who was here earlier in the week working on the studio. I discussed it. As a producer of a talk radio or television programme, as a presenter, you have a responsibility to put every side of an argument in front of your audience when you can it's not always possible because there are times when you contact people to say listen we've heard one side of an argument I know you disagree would you like to come on sometimes they tell you to feck off they have no interest in your show whatsoever or you job done you have done the due diligence you've said right I'd like to hear the other side of it but you don't want to come on fair enough 
at that point you would inform your audience, listen, I reached out, but they weren't interested in coming on. Did Alex Jones or the people working for Alex Jones at any time after the shootings at Sandy Hook or I should say more importantly after Alex began to talk about it pretty much several times a week for for several years or at least for a couple of years were the families involved offered right of reply now you might say Richie it's very difficult to offer someone right of reply when you, your your views have been expressed as strongly and as aggressively, let's be honest about it, as Alex Jones expressed his views. Did they reach out? That's number one. Yeah, you've got to consider that. What efforts were made to offer a platform to the people affected in that particular community? Now, there's another question. It was alleged during the defamation hearing and during the damages hearing, it was alleged that it was pointed out to Alex Jones pretty early on that the families, or some of the families anyway, were being harassed by people, uh, usually corresponding to some particular programme or following on from some particular programme where Alex accused the families of being crisis actors and the children of not having existed. Some of the families or some of the law firms said that they expressly, we'll use that term again, told the InfoWars people that this was having a very adverse effect on the community and that not only were people being harassed and threatened, but the sometimes the, the places of work were being contacted and uh, all sorts of things were being said. So I, and I'm not coming down on any side here at all, not because I'm a fence straddler, but because I'd like to know a bit more. Is that true? Did the representatives of the family say, look, you, you, you might be entitled to your opinion and all, but this is constant and we think you're whipping up a bit of a frenzy and we think that some people are taking this very seriously. Uh, we know they are because they're coming to our town, they're harassing people, threatening people, even going to our places of work and harassing our fellow employees. Is, is any of that true? Did uh, the representatives of the families communicate this to InfoWars and did Alex and his people carry on in any case? These are serious questions. I wouldn't like to sit on a jury in a trial like that where one group of people is suing someone else for damages. I mean, Alex Jones's lawyers argued, listen, Alex Jones is not responsible for the actions of a third party. And that's one of the essential or one of the most vital aspects of, of, of this judgment, the most vital tenets of this judgment. Do you agree, do we agree, that a man or a woman should be able to express their opinion, no matter what it is, no matter what it is they believe? Number one. Number two, do we believe that there are, do we believe that it is possible for a man or a woman to very vocally express an opinion in such a way that it leads to a kind of a mob being whipped up and that mob then harassing, uh, you, you, you know, the people that you, the presenter, have been talking about. I haven't phrased that very well, but you get what I'm trying to say. Do, do we accept that as a possibility? Do you have a responsibility? 
for your audience? Do I have a responsibility for my audience? You know, should I have to consider sometimes what it is I say and what it might do and what the consequences of it might be? Or do I determine that I uh, speak for myself and I speak for nobody else and I am not responsible for the actions of anybody else? That it is, it's just not, it's not a thing. It, it can't be right. It can't be possible. That I can strongly express my opinion on something and my very strong, very determined, very resolute expression of that opinion can lead to harm. These are serious legal questions. I, I don't have the answers. I'd like to say that free speech, and I do kind of think free speech should be absolute. There's also another angle to this. It isn't just black and white. It isn't binary choice. Is Alex being hard done by, or isn't he? It isn't. Right? It, it, it is not. There, there, are, there, there are many other angles uh, to this as well. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on it. RichieAllen.co.uk Comment live at the top of the page and uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what, uh, what you think. The other angle I was just going to mention briefly was um, maybe once or twice is enough to say it maybe. Could it be argued that by constantly harping on and on and on about it, and he did for a long time, naming people like Lenny Posner and others, you know, and calling them liars. Could it be argued that that's overkill? That that borders on harassment in, in itself, that you're constantly harping on about it and banging on about it? You know, could you make an argument that, you know, you should say moderately, if you can say something like that moderately, but say, listen, I find some... I, I, I find that whole Sandy Hook thing very strange and I'm not sure that all is, you know, that we've heard the full story. I'm not sure that all is well there. I just don't know what's going on, but it, it stinks to me. Could, could, could that not be the thing? And could you not have revisited it from time to time? Did you have to go on and on and on about it? I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. Uh, he won't pay 900 um, million US dollars. This will be reduced on appeal. And secondly, he will file for bankruptcy and he won't pay a penny. I'm pretty certain of that. It's uh, four minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, I think we'll get away with just about, just about get away with another tune. What do you think? Why not? There's a wonderful documentary on Netflix about Credence Clearwater Revival and John Fogarty. If you are a Netflix survivor, survivor? My God. Subscriber. I recommend you check it out. This is Fortunate Son, CCR on The Richie Allen Show. Going to be with you this Wednesday, Thursday even, God. It'll be on iTunes, Spotify and the usual suspects. How you, by the way? Thursday's programme, the 13th of October 2022, Bente, Bente Dos. Pandora says, can we not instead call out Piers Greg's son, Morgan, for all of his own outrageous bullshit, Richie? After all, every pro-vax... A slag-off that Morgan sputtered between flaky pastry crumbs has been utterly proven to be unscientific bollocks, says Pandora. Thank you. Speaking of strong opinions, Bill says, Surely if free speech is in the Constitution of the United States of America, how can Jones be fined for voicing his opinions? Bill, I tried to explain that, and I obviously did a very bad job. Because the law, jurisprudence, lawyers and juries, they don't look at things in terms of black and white. Yes, the First Amendment of the US Constitution you know, granting uh, the, inali the inalienable right 
of every citizen to, to free speech to, to, to speak out. But in Jones, the jury found, awarded damages to the families because the jury found, in their opinion, that Jones went above and beyond. That this wasn't just a case of free speech, that this was repetitive harassment of the families. And that this in turn led to the families being put in danger from people who listened to Infowars and who took on board everything Jones was saying. Look, I'm not saying I agree with any of this. I'm saying this is what they found. Uh, okay. Lots and lots of comment on this. Martin said, I never, in Spain, I never imagined that, that, that Alex had 900 plus million dollars. I, I don't imagine he has, Martin. Just because they've awarded against him in that amount doesn't mean that he has it. I've never had more than five grand in my life saved, says Martin. Well, you'll be like most people, Martin. Most people listening to this programme won't have more than a couple of grand in the bank. In fact, somebody said this to me recently. It was a shopkeeper or, or a sales assistant somewhere. We were talking about these issues, not, not Sandy Hook, obviously, about the things that are going on, about the cost of living, about the bills and all of that. And uh, she said to me, I've got about a month's salary in the bank. So if it all goes belly up, I don't want to depress you. Let's move on. Can we briefly stay with Sandy Hook? Very briefly. Um, because Ian Collins, everybody got, got on this today. Ian Collins is another mouthpiece for uh, the establishment, uh, for the system. And he works for talk radio, does Ian Jones. Does Ian Jones? Again, you see, you see. You've got to forgive me. It's only been a day. Ian Collins works for Talk TV, which is uh, basically rebranded Talk Radio. And he wanted to get into conspiracy theorists today. How do people end up becoming conspiracy theorists, uh, says uh, Ian Collins. He just can't get his head around it like. Now, people have always... People always argue, what's the best era to be alive? You know, what was the best time, the golden age? Was it the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Uh, I actually think now is a pretty good time uh, to be around. When all is what? all is said and done, I think we are mostly living through a pretty good era. I think it's mostly <laughs> all right. It's mostly okay at the moment. Has Ian Collins been in a coma for the last three years? It sounds like it, really. This is good. More on this. He said, it is good, it is good, but there's a price to be paid. It does come at a price. And the one thing that I do find disappointing about this era, uh, I could say sometimes devastating, is the sheer amount of information that we have. It's the information era. That it's too much information. That we have. We're bombarded left, right and centre, not just with news, but with opinion, everywhere you look, from newspapers to phones, your television to the radio, the information keeps on coming. And then, of course, that's one thing. And then, of course, that information is followed up with a gazillion opinions all vying for centre stage to try to make their points. It's a fog, a cacophony of ideas, a non-stop roller coaster of news and views. Once upon a time, it was all so simple. We'd sit and watch the telly. We get our news and that would be it. Yeah, but it was still propaganda though, just because you had two television channels and four or five newspapers. It was still lies, a lot of it, just less of it. And it wasn't as uncouth, maybe, I will give you that. So he's raging at the fact that we've got, it's too easy, it's too easy for people to go online and to express their opinions. He doesn't like that. So where's he going with all of this? Now, however, people watch the news and then head for your chosen platform 
to give off an opinion. The bastards. It's like we're all constantly on a panel programme preparing to unleash our wisdom. Social media is clearly the game changer here. Essentially, we just have too much information. And when you're faced with almost a million warlike war zone like flurry of confusion counter confusion sloppy opinion unqualified voices dangerous unqualified voices says who you again this is the arbiter thing who's going to be the arbiter of what should be allowed online what should be heard and what shouldn't dangerous often venomous ideas you can see venomous ideas how mad and bad views are formed. Mad and bad views are formed. But yeah, but I'm a reasonably intelligent human being. Do I not have the right to determine for myself? I know, dear listener, I'm only repeating what I said at the beginning of the programme. But this is very important because this is where we are going. We are rushing headlong towards the online harms bill. How do we get rid of all of these people who are doing that thing that we're not... What Ian Jones is... Ian Jones... I'll get my code, I'll see you tomorrow. What Ian Collins is doing is, he's he's saying, he's not saying it out loud, and, and, and I don't even think he's saying it consciously, but subconsciously he's saying, I'm pretty much useless, and so is James O'Brien on LBC, and so is Laura Kunzberg at the BBC, and so is Kay Burley at Sky. We're useless. Um, we are not doing our job. We have no intention of doing our job. We have absolutely no intention, we, we, we never will, will we dismantle the lies and the propaganda of governments, of corporations, of think tanks. No, we won't. No. And we can't have you doing it. We're not going to do it, but you can't do it. We can't have you going online and calling out our bullshit. It's as simple as that, says Ian Collins. This is good stuff. Everybody has the conch. The podium once reserved for, I don't know... Po for, for lawyers. The podium once reserved for lawyers and Lord Haw-Haw types like you, Ian, uh, well, is now being grabbed by everyone and their granny on, on, on the internet. Yes. Politicians and experts is now occupied... Politicians and experts. The podium once reserved for politicians and experts is now occupied by you and me. He doesn't like it. By all of us. Yeah. This is how modern-day conspiracies are formed. This no, no, no. This is how a fucking democracy might be formed if you just get out of the way of it. Because we don't live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional monarchy, which is fascism by another name. We don't live in a democracy. But if everybody gets to have their say, if there isn't any censorship, if we get to freely exchange ideas and theories and debate them and flesh them out, the world might be a better place, maybe. ...is how Alex Jones popped up. The conspiracy theorist who's been ordered to pay almost a billion dollars, £869 million in damages, after falsely claiming that the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting was a hoax. The families of eight victims and an FBI agent who responded to the attack had sought at least $550 million in, defamation in the defamation trial in Connecticut. They allege the right-wing radio host's misinformation led to a decade of harassment and death threats. Right, any more? So it was quite hard. You had to launch a bit of a search to find these parochial views. Now, the encouraging thing is that these are still views held by a tiny minority of people. But the difference now 
is the online and digital world. So even though Bob in our broth uh, wants to post his views that the vaccination is going to kill you and a one-world government are going to control your life... The what? That the vaccination is going to kill you? And that a one-world government is hell-bent on controlling your life? Well, the vaccines have killed some people. We know this for a fact because the government has admitted as much. So the, so the vaccines are dangerous and harmful to some people. And it's pretty obvious to, to anyone who's been alive or awake or had their eyes open in the past three years that the governments, who of course are controlled by other parties, are absolutely working to an agenda to take control of every aspect of our lives. Again, has Collins been in a coma for the last three years? The echo chamber of Facebook and Twitter will create the idea for Bob that half the world are on his side. Well, I doubt half the world believe that the, the jabs are dangerous or could be dangerous. I doubt half the world believes that there is an agenda to introduce or to 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 move to a technocratic prison planet kind of society. I don't have to worry, but, but many people are beginning to consider, in my opinion, consider these ideas uh, to be not only possible, but probable, that these things are, are indeed happening. What else? From it is an echo chat. They're not, by the way. But the conspiracy theorists don't see that. They really believe the weight of a public opinion is... Are you seeing it? You're listening to a gatekeeper. Him... Brewer, Nick Ferrari, O'Brien, all of them, gatekeepers. It is there, subconsciously it must be said, I think, I think subconsciously, I think, I don't know, this is my opinion. Their job is to act as a gatekeeper for the establishment, for the agenda. To convince you that black is in fact not black, it's actually green. You know that something very serious is happening. It's his job and his colleagues at Talk Radio and his colleagues at LBC, they're all in it together different parent companies, but they're all in it together. It's their jobs, it's their collective job to to, to convince you, to, to, to gaslight you, basically. To tell you that what you are witnessing with your own eyes and hearing with your own ears is, 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 is untrue. You're crazy. And it's also their job to make sure that these ideas never get an airing. That we don't properly discuss these ideas, that we don't properly discuss these agendas in a grown-up way that we reduce radio programmes to a series of three-minute interviews with people who agree with you, rather than 25-minute interviews with people who see the world a little bit differently. It's exactly ten minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Your Richie Allen Show, by the way. It's live, as it always is, from BBG Towers, here in the great state of Salford. It's not a state, really. Um... More of your comments, please. I will be reading more uh, when I come back in a moment. RichieAllen.co.uk and it is comment live at the top of the menu bar. Cold, seasonal, flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to Immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. All right, something should have happened there. 
It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. All right then, let's have a tune. And when I come back from the tune, I'm going to be reading out more of your comments as I go. And then we're going to talk about something else. It's to do with the, the, the COVID thing. It's, it's really good to be back, it really is. Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, it's uh, 12 minutes past six. And this is ACDC, and you shook me all night long. Yeah, Brian Johnson did a magnificent television programme for Sky Arts, I think, where he went to meet some of the biggest names in music to talk about their touring careers. And he came across in the series, I think there were two seasons of it, I sound very American now. He came across incredibly well, Brian Johnson, as a genuinely lovely fella. That's ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long, quarter past six on the Richie Allen Show. Yes, 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 this episode will be on Podomatic later on. Yes, it has. Chris says, Richie has gone all Infowars. Have I? I don't think so. Uh, I'm not sure I have, but anyway... Andrea says, and I saw this, I just managed to log into Facebook. I'll read this out. I don't share Andrea's point of view here, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I agree or not. What matters is we hear every side. Regarding Alex Jones, Andrea says, the scenario is going on here in the UK to a lesser extent with a guy called Alex Belfield, who was jailed recently for five and a half years for harassing people online including the BBC radio presenter Jeremy Vine. Now, Belfield isn't everyone's cup of tea, says Andrea, but I can't help wondering what else is going on. Did Belfield know something big, as he claimed, within the BBC, and if so, did they get in first? He was sent down over some 56 emails over 10 years, but it was claimed that he sent thousands. But there was no evidence. Is Belfield a test case for anti-freedom of speech in this country? To me, the whole affair raises more questions than were answered during the trial. Thanks, Andrea. Now, I'm not going to editorialise that because you made your points very well. All I'm going to say is I don't like... Um, I, I, I didn't know very much about this guy, Belfield, at all, until he was accused of stalking people that he worked with and stalking Jeremy Vine. I looked into it. I don't share your assessment of this Belfield guy, but it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't. You've made a case there. I don't know is the answer, but I see it a little bit differently than that. Okie doke. Chris says Collins refers to an internet alternative voices or refers to internet alternative voices as Bob's blog. Uh, he competes, competes even with O'Brien as wanker gatekeeper. Craig says Ian Collins expresses a distaste for opinions with an opinion. Very good. As for venomous opinions, if I recall, it was Collins who likened conspiracy theorists to domestic terrorists. I'd call that a venomous opinion that may well have inspired harassment. Richard Kelly says, well, Richie, you saying to us, say in your opinion, shows how important that is. I say that, Richard, because it's important to me I think it should be important to anybody who does any sort of broadcasting, no matter where it is, whether you're on LBC, whether you're on you know, the internet, whether you're doing a, an independent show like this. It's important to, I suppose, assure people listening that you, the presenter, are aware 
that you don't have the answers at all. That that when you do offer an opinion, it is just your opinion and should be taken with a pinch of salt. You know, you might offer some, you might have one or two facts to hand. You might have a little bit of meat on the bones to support your opinion, but it is just my opinion. And yeah, I have over the years lectured a little bit and said, listen, don't bombard me with this is the way it is, Richie. I'm more likely to read and I do enjoy reading the comments. Uh, if you say, well, this is how I see it, as opposed to this is the way it is. That doesn't annoy me or frustrate me, but I just skip on. I skip on, that's all. In my opinion, says Richard, maybe doing some research on the town itself, going back as far as records go back, just to legitimise the, the town, this is the town in Connecticut, has a strong and real record. Then I would check back on births and deaths death records to build a profile of the long time and short time residents there. I won't go on Richie says Richard but I'd start there and build from there. Well Richard back when I was doing television in London I worked with a wonderful guy called Ben Gelbloom and Ben's a brilliant journalist and a very very, very good researcher and as far as Ben uh, was able to determine um, everything was above board with the town um, the Sandy Hook Elementary School uh, as my producer. And he said, you know, it, it all seems legit to me, Richie. So there you go. John says, Richie, um, here's some results from repetitive free speech from government lawyers. Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, COVID. All harmful wars were based on propagated repetitive diatribe by government pimps and their media commentators. Very, very well put, John. 100% can't argue with that. Craig came back to say whether Jones is in the right or the wrong it could be argued that this entire issue is one of personal responsibility and personal self-control of listeners, readers and watchers. There are times when it seems to me that the defence of my right ignores personal responsibility. Just the thought. That's a point that's very well made, Craig. Very well made. And I was speaking about this today with my better half and we were chatting away about it and we were fleshing it out and we agree with that it isn't black and white it isn't and there are things we don't know did the families reach out years ago to Infowars to say listen you've said what you think that's fair enough you're, you're entitled to that but by ranting on about it you're causing us some serious bother here now if that did indeed happen could it be argued that Alex Jones could have said, or his team, look, we believe it was fake. Uh, we still hold dear to the principle that it was fake or hoax or whatever. But yeah, okay, we'll tone it down a bit. We're not going to ignore the subject. We might return to it. But we're not going to be screaming down a microphone that the parents are liars, they're all crisis actors, and all of that. So I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I saw it as my responsibility to try and poke holes in the the narrative that was presented to me by Wolfgang Halbig. It was my responsibility to play Wolfgang some sound clips of Lenny Posner. To say to Wolfgang, Wolfgang, it doesn't seem to me that these people are liars. And by doing that, I didn't just cover my arse. Which is not the, the purpose of the ex. I don't want to cover my arse. But you do your job. It's not my job to tell people this happened or this didn't happen. It's my job to 
to allow Wolfgang Halbig. You see, that's the difference between the independent media and the legacy media. And if the independent media is done properly, you will facilitate a conversation with Wolfgang and Alex, but you won't just sit there nodding along like a nodding dog on the back seat of a Ford Cortina. That's not your job. And that's what Alex did. Alex brought Wolfgang on and others. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's rubbish. Rubbish. I tell you what, it's very lucrative rubbish. There's big money in it. But um, it is rubbish, in my opinion. You might like that sort of thing, fair enough, but it's not for me. He could have been something really special, Alex Jones, because he is a bright man. You know, I parted company with him when he endorsed uh, Donald Trump. For me, he identified himself, Alex, he outed himself as a rank hypocrite. You know, a man who professed to understand that politics and change through politics was an illusion and that both sides of any political divide, whether it be Democrat, whether it be Republican, whether it be Conservative, whether it be Labour, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour, two cheeks of the same arse, both controlled by another party. He professed to know this for years and then he inserted his head as far up the anus of Donald Trump as he possibly could. So I parted company with Alex. I invited him on because I criticised him for his Trump support uh, and he declined to come on. And that was that, fair enough. And we, we didn't uh, interact very much after that. He could have been great, Alex, as he built up that audience. How good would it have been to see Alex interview some of the men and women who said Sandy Hook was a hoax? How good would it have been for him to play devil's advocate and say, I can't, I can't buy into this, even if he believed it to his bone marrow? It would have been gripping television. Wolfgang, come on, these, they can't be telling lies, these people. Why do you say this? And then at the end of the interview, well, look, I'm, I'm not sure I'm convinced, Wolfgang, but look, you've earned the right to your opinion because you are a national school safety inspector. Infowars viewers, it's over to you. What do you think? Could have been brilliant. If I'd have produced Alex Jones because I got my break in the media as a producer, I'm not going to go all James O'Brien now, but I was a good producer. I was good. I wasn't great. I was like Mother Teresa. She wasn't a great, she was a good nun. Not a great nun. I was a good producer, not a great producer. Did you see that Sky documentary about Mother Teresa? What do you think of that? We might get into that and on. But um, he could have been great. And he chose, ching ching. He chose to sensationalise his output. And to do that to sell super male vitality pills. And that, dear listener, is bullshit. In my opinion. That's just my opinion. Um complicated stuff. Right, where are we going next? 25 and a half minutes past the hour. You get to criticise me, by the way, and comment on the website, and I will read out those critical comments uh, as I see them coming in. But I do want to do something else now, don't I? I'm not going to get away with another tune, am I? Am I? Ah, go on, will I? Can I have another tune before we go anywhere else? I'm getting used to the gear, you see, to the equipment. This is like Houston, Space Command Control, you know? I'll do that Steve Wright thing now of talking over the uh, the lyrics. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show Thursday. Good to be with you. Sweets for my sweet. Back with plenty more in a minute. Sweet, oh, sweet. Sweet, oh, sweet. 
CJ Lewis, CJ Lewis and Sweets from My Sweet. It is the time, just in case you've got to be somewhere. 29 minutes past six. Here's a story that's developing. I noticed this as I was getting ready to come on air today. The Parkland shooting. Do you remember this? A, a shooting that happened. Speaking of shootings, at a high school in Parkland, Florida, back in 2018, 17 people were killed there. Uh, yeah, February 2018. A man was convicted of, of, the, of the, the shooting, of the shootings. A guy called Nicholas Cruz, a very young man. He would have been about 20 years of age at the time, around about then, uh, 20. Uh, he's 24 now. He pleaded guilty last year, so therefore he's convicted of killing 17 people. And it's uh, the BBC are all over this. I find this very strange. And Sky News. This isn't information that is relevant to British audiences, but yet they covered these things, almost blanket coverage of it, you know. And today, the jury came back with uh, the jury came back with its decision on how to punish this guy. It came back with its sentencing, and this was all covered live by the BBC News Channel, the uh, Sky News uh, Channel, and others covered this live. I can't understand this, but I can. I I've talked about it often enough. Uh, the jury has voted not to give the death penalty to the man. And they've recommended life imprisonment without a chance of parole. And this has not gone down well amongst survivors or the families of some of the victims. They've, uh, they're up in arms. They're speaking outside the courthouse saying that it's unjust. How can he live another day? Said Lin Chen, a cousin of one of the victims, a guy called Peter Wang. I'm, of course, completely and ideologically opposed to capital punishment. If you've listened to me long enough, you'll know that at one time I was a very active campaigner uh, against capital punishment around the world. I used to send money, spare money, whatever spare money I had when I was younger, to uh, death row inmates in the States, and I used to uh, be very involved in writing letters and all sorts of stuff like that. I don't believe that the state should uh, have the right to exact revenge on behalf of citizens. It should never the state should be indifferent. It should not not indifferent. It should be blind to everything but justice. You know, it shouldn't be the, the state's job is to protect the public, is to is to punish people, is to rehabilitate people. Maybe the the, the prison system, if 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 that's what it's supposed to do, that's what it should do, but not to exact revenge. It's a different thing. If uh, shortly afterwards, one of the fathers or or, or, or mothers of, of one of the victims was to catch up with this guy, hot-bloodedly kill the guy. I don't like it, but you can understand it. But the state shouldn't be doing it. It's something I don't think I'll ever change my mind on. That's a developing story. My US-based listeners might be following that, might be interested in it. Now, let's talk a little bit about COVID, but specifically the laws that came in in 2020. Uh, what was the law called? It'll come back to me. I had it in my mind a moment ago. But the government took upon itself um, to introduce a number of laws, emergency laws, during the first and second and third lockdowns from 2020 onwards. And a lawyer or a barrister called Adam Wagner has written a book about this. And I'm reaching over to my notebook to read you the name of the book uh, the book is called emergency state 
by Adam Wagner, who sometimes appears on television and radio. He's at the Doughty Street Chambers in London. And he reckons that a hundred new laws came into being without any debate. And this is basically tyranny, in his opinion. He was invited to Sky News this morning to speak to none other than our ginger ninja, Kay Burley, about um, the very many problems with a government or any government introducing so many laws. So many laws. Without any real oversight. Here is Adam Wagner in conversation with Kay Burley. I tell the story of the first two years of the pandemic through the extraordinary restrictions on freedoms that we all experienced. And I look at how that happened and, you know, just from a basic level of how could it possibly be that the government was telling us through the criminal law whether we could leave the home, who we could hug, where we could worship, whether we could protest. And I also look at how it, ha it happened from a legal perspective. How did these over 100 laws get made and get made in a way which really was by ministerial decree? Yeah, I mean, was it legal? I mean, was, it was legal in the sense that there were laws, they were passed, but they were very unusual laws because rather than going through all sorts of parliamentary procedures, they all that had to happen was they would be signed by Matt Hancock at the bottom of a piece of paper and then all of a sudden, playground shut, uh, we weren't allowed to leave the house, we would, you know, not be able to go to work. Um, so they were very unusual kinds of laws and that's what I look at and I sort of raise the alarm at what happened during this state of emergency, which actually lasted over two years. When we look back at it now, we think, how could we possibly have found ourselves in that position? Kay, I'd, I'd like you to repeat what you just said there, Kay, please. Look back at it now, we think, how could we possibly have found ourselves in that position? Draconian, I think, is at, at the most mild um, description of what happened. Because there are amoeba lying in Petri dishes that have more intelligence than you, Kay. Um, the reason it happened, Kay, was because you and your pals at Sky News and at the BBC didn't do anything about it. She asked him a moment or so ago, were these laws legal? Do you think it was your job, Kay, to find out when they were introducing these laws which came into being, which were given life when Matt Hancock signed his John Q at the end of a document? Do you not think, Kay, looking back, that it was your job to challenge this madness? and question it, and you're really saying this? Think, how could we possibly have found ourselves in that position? Because you're useless, Kay. Draconian, I think, is at, at the most mild. Um, Draconian is mild, says Kay Burley now in October 2022. But in March 2020, Kay Burley was reporting on the introduction of draconian or Orwellian dystopian lunacy and not asking a single question about the legitimacy of it. Isn't that amazing? I caught that today and I thought I'll share it with you later on. One thing that I, that I was surprised by was how unusual and, and new lockdowns were when, when the pandemic started. They really only, only had been, before Wuhan um, in China in, in February 2020, there had only been two lockdowns, as far as I could find, for a, for a few days um, in two different countries in, in 10 years. So the idea of a national lockdown was very novel. Um, it was untried. Um, but I think that there was a kind of... Um, rush because of what happened in China. The World Health Organization supported it. Lots of organizations internationally supported it. There was a rush to implement lockdowns and there wasn't a lot of thinking about the impacts, but you know, fair enough in a way because there was this extraordinary once in a um, hundred year 
pandemic that was kicking off and the, with this very but there wasn't really and the, with this very deadly virus and it certainly wasn't deadly so there was not to most people excuse me it wasn't deadly for the great majority of people on planet earth there's an element of panic um, but what i find amazing in the book was that although you would expect that state of emergency to last for at least the first few weeks, maybe months, where ministers could basically just do what they wanted um, with our lives, it lasted for over two years. And, and in fact, over those two years, there were, I think, 109 laws created by this process, and only eight of them were looked at by Parliament before they came into force. So over 100 were just signed into force without even a thought um, publicly, apart from, from a few ministers. Right. Shall we hear a bit more of this? This is very, very interesting indeed. Where is it all going to go? And it's still on the statute book. Um, the lockdown laws aren't, but the, the law which allowed the lockdown laws to happen, and which is the Public Health Act, is... That's right, the Public Health Act. If there was a, another COVID outbreak, um, I mean, there's one at the moment, but if there was one that required, um, from Minister's point of view, these restrictions, then it could all happen again. There's, uh, I think there's some significant risk to our democracy that we saw during the pandemic and which I think really needs to be looked at quite urgently. People that uh, received significant fines during lockdown, given your book and what you've looked into, did they have a case to appeal those fines? Well, I, I suggested in the book, there were, there were over 100,000 fixed penalty notices given, ranging from £60, like the Prime Minister got, to £10,000, like some of my clients, um, students who organised parties during the lockdown got. And there's, that huge, there's a very significant range. Um, the thing that I'm concerned about is, a lot of the time, the police didn't know the laws they were enforcing. The laws themselves were unclear. People themselves didn't understand what was going on um, from one day to the next because the laws kept changing. And they were incredibly arbitrary. They did keep changing from one day to the next, these arbitrary, ridiculous laws. I mean, th this is good stuff really because even though it's only two and a half years ago, I have the feeling that for many, they don't remember this stuff. You know, they don't remember police officers harassing people in in beauty spots. You know, a couple who got into a car and drove a few miles to a national park. They don't remember this stuff. They don't remember the videos that emerged online of police officers forcing um, people to close their businesses and to kick out their customers. This, this Nazi stuff. I have a feeling that this stuff somehow, maybe it's because it's traumatic, maybe on some level. You know, people don't want to think about it. But it's very important for this guy to be pointing out, not only did this happen, but the, the, the groundwork that was laid for it to happen is still there. This will happen again in the future. Um, and I think there's a, there's a real argument for reviewing certainly the most, the, the largest of those fixed penalty notices, but also prosecutions. There were thousands of prosecutions, many of which happened behind closed doors. And, and what I mean by that is that not only could the public not attend, but the defendant didn't attend. A judge would just look at the, um, look at the papers and say, right, I'm convicted and I'm going to fine this person £1,000 or £5,000. Um, Sounds like North Korea. Well, I mean... In, in, in... Kay is acting like she's surprised by this when she knew damn well this was going on. This is... You know, we've given, we've had a bit of a giggle over the years at Kay Burley and her ineptitude and silliness and her, her, 
I've I've always seen Burley as the Faye Dunaway character in Network. It's always been a bit of a giggle. But this is serious stuff. Burley is acting like this is all news to her. When in fact this was enabled by her inability or her refusal to challenge any of it or to question it. Listen to what he's saying here. This is so important. Didn't attend. A judge would just look at the um, look at the papers and say, right. Um. The defendant was never allowed to attend. A judge would look at papers given to the judge by by the director of public prosecution, having received those papers from the police. So the police say Richie Allen had more than one neighbour visiting his house on Sunday. He had two different families in his house. This would be put before a judge. I wouldn't get a say in it. The judge would see it. I'm convicted and I'm going to fine this person £1,000 or £5,000. Sounds like North Korea. Well, I mean, it really does in in certain senses. And that's the the impression I got after reading this, uh, sorry, after writing the book, is that we expect, we think we live in a liberal democracy. We do live in a liberal democracy. No, we don't. But during a state of emergency, things can happen that you would never, ever expect to happen, that should not happen. Um, And if we don't look back and, you know, I think a lot of people feel that this trauma, we really need to put it behind us, and I completely understand that. But if we don't look back and face up to what happened, the risk is that there's another emergency, whether it's tomorrow or in 10 years' time, could be a health emergency, could be terror. Or three months' time. Terrorism, you know, the, the kinds of things we experience, it could be an economic shock. Um, where these same things can happen again. And and I think it's important to understand that and to try and protect ourselves. Yeah, but don't expect Kay Burley, Adam, Adam Wagner from the Doughty Street Chambers, who's got got a book out on this, don't expect Burley to suddenly have a crisis of conscience and begin to challenge this stuff when it inevitably re-emerges in the winter. Maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic. You might tell me I am. Maybe it won't. Uh, happen again this winter or, 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 or next year and maybe you'll say that's naive it is going to happen Richie I don't know what's going to happen but like you I'm concerned Jenny says I remember Richie playing a clip of Burley telling Matt Hancock he was doing a wonderful job that's right she did not too much critical thinking back then says Jenny Chris says Burley is one of the head media gatekeeper enforcers he says the daily death count stupid mask Wearing, distancing and all of that, she she pushed it. She didn't challenge it. You could make the argument that she didn't push it. But you could also make the argument that by not challenging it in any way, she pushed it. But don't forget Eamon Holmes. You know, this is why the media didn't do what the media should have done. Have a listen to Eamon Holmes speaking with Denise Welch on television two years ago, would you believe? This is a time of national emergency. And... Um, as I know from myself at the start of all of this, you are not allowed to question uh, the narrative on, on, on such things. So there are restrictions on publications, there are restrictions on broadcasters, well, and there will be a lot of people saying that you are simply uh, rabble-rousing, you're creating panic uh, with all of this. Yeah, he was having a go at the time at the actress Denise Welsh, who, who herself was asking questions on social media about the legitimacy of the pandemic. You know, COVID might be a respiratory infection that might be a nuisance for people who have preconditions or comorbidities, but it's not a pandemic and it's not something we should be locking the country down uh, 
in order to protect ourselves from it. Holmes said there, he gave, kind of gave it away there, Holmes, didn't he, that, that broadcasters had been told not to push against this to go along with it. Yeah. And we know that because the government was taking out millions of pounds worth of advertisements in newspapers and on television and radio programmes, that was a big problem for the television and radio programmes and the television and radio stations. Jesus, we're getting a lot of money from the government to advertise, you know, that people should stay home, they should socially distance, they shouldn't hug granny. Maybe we shouldn't really be questioning it. Yes. Josh says Richie is a champagne socialist. He called Mark Collett soulless because of his views on migration. Richie is a moron. Thank you, Josh. I didn't call Mark Collett anything. I've interviewed Mark Collett. And during the interview, I might very well have suggested that his perspective was a soulless one. But I interviewed him. And I'll probably have him on again. I don't mind, Mark. He's a good lad. Don't be a dipstick, Josh. Don't be a dipstick. Not all your life, anyway. Not all your life. Be a dipstick sometimes. There's always room for it, you know. More music on the Richie Allen Show. More music, please. He calls for more music. Producer, please. Thank you. There is no producer. It's just me and you this uh, Thursday. The 13th of October, 2022, eh? Are you still reeling from the news that you won't be having any bonfires? Just a small town girl Living in a believer Journey and don't stop believing on the Richie Allen Show. Ten minutes to the top of the air. Thanks for all your comments this evening. I've enjoyed reading them. Anto says, Wagner, as in Adam Wagner, is a shill. He's telling us what we already know in a effing book, says Anto. Oh, dear. Well, maybe, Anto, people who don't know what went on in 2020 or were unaware of uh, the things that you are aware of, the things you know, maybe the class of person that Adam Wagner normally associates. Maybe those people will read the book and maybe it might make some sense to them, maybe. You know, it's not all as black and white, Anto. It isn't really. Bill says it wouldn't surprise me if there was another lockdown this winter forcing people to stay home, heating on, costing us all a fortune, says Bill. Steve says all events presented by the media now have to be interpreted by the viewer or listener because we have learned that media outlets deliberately omit details. They amplify other details and select stories based on their ideological lens. This has led to the media becoming as much a part of the story as the events it is supposed to report on, transforming reporters into commentators and editors into gatekeepers. In many respects, this is directly mirrored by our current politics, as the words spoken never mean what was said, but require endless interpretation and where the people are only ever referred to as an economy and GDP, meaning politicians have been transformed into budget managers. Yes, managers of public life. As Adam Curtis once famously said in a terrific series of BBC documentaries called The Power of Nightmares. Well, uh, observed there, Steve. Nice that. Chris and Emma say climate lockdowns are on the cards. Well, they're already talking about them openly, aren't they, Chris? 
and Emma, they're openly talking about these things. Well, I, I, in, in yesterday's crazy broadcast, we won't call it a programme, I, I mentioned that the House of Lords had sent a, a series of recommendations to the House of Commons, to, to politicians, to the government. And effectively, the House of Lords is saying that the government should, should start a COVID-19 style fear-mongering information push to, to terrorise people into going along with the net zero agenda. No doubt climate lockdowns are on the cards. No doubt. It's something I've been saying for over two years. And I don't say that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in any way special. I'm not. It's not my thing to be making predictions. I don't make too many predictions because I'm more often wrong than I am right. But yeah, I do see that on, on the, the cards. In fact, the last time this radio show was given a bit of a bashing in the media was Sky News ran a piece on on a story I wrote about climate lockdowns. And, you know, my belief that climate lockdowns were going to be a thing in the future. Sky had a go at me. It wasn't too bad, really. Just that this is crazy conspiracy nonsense. Look at this crap on the internet, basically. Basically me, I'm the crap on the internet. And I said to them, Jesus, you could have uh, given me right of reply. And he said, we tried to reach you. Bullshit. But anyway, I didn't mind. There's no such thing as bad publicity, you see. It's great to get a mention in the national media. It doesn't do the programme any harm at all. Um, Patrick says, it seems to me there is an aura of complacency creeping in regards the current situation. And a lot of the tyranny has been forgotten and may be forgiven. Personally, I will not rest, says Patrick, until the full gamut of what continues to go on is exposed and expunged from human consciousness and that we start to create the new earth which is so badly needed. Thank you, Patrick. Craig says, uh, last week I pointed out to some work colleagues that corporatism was the cornerstone of fascism and that today we live in a corporatist world. I got a, a moment of blank stares immediately followed by justification of how corporate socialism has created more convenience through standardisation. Yet, my colleagues cannot join the dots that standardisation of things and services has shifted to standardisation of people. Even the term people is a standardisation uh, slash faceless collectivization of persons. And that small but very important change to perception is incredibly dangerous. That's Craig. Thank you, Craig. Okay, dear listener, here's, it's, it's bonus round here. I'm just about to close out today's programme, but with the good news that I'll be back on air with you tomorrow, Friday, for an hour or an hour and a half, between 4 and 5 or between 4 and 5.30. I'm practising, you see. So I'll do something with you tomorrow between 4 and 5 or 4 and 5.30. I'll be on air, we'll have a chat about a few things and I'll play a few tunes, a drive-time programme tomorrow. I am familiarising myself with the Star Trek-esque studio that uh, I have been uh, blessed with, because it's an amazing thing. Thanks for listening today. This programme will, I swear to God, I swear, by the moon and the sun and the stars, it'll be on podcast in about 25 minutes, uh, minus the music, of course. Uh, so it will be up there, so you can share it around if you like. Uh, until tomorrow, around about 4 o'clock Friday, then, from your BBG, it is bye. Take care of yourselves and one another. I am closing out of the programme. Speaking of classic rock, it's Dire Straits and Sultans of Swing. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. 
pipe from the BBG. Bye now. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime.